Good morning. Today, we are in our second message in our Advent series, which we have called The Descendants. Last week, we heard from Dave Herman, who kicked our series off for us, and he did an amazing job. And this week, I'm excited that we get to hear from Brandon Epting. Brandon is attending the London School of Theology, and part of their first year training is to have a term time placement at a church, an internship of sorts. And so we're thrilled that Brandon has chosen to do his placement with us. Like I said last week, I want Trinity Heights to contribute in any way that we can in preparing the next generation of leaders for the church. And so it's really encouraging to have friends like Dave and Brandon getting involved in the way that they are. I've enjoyed many good conversations with Brandon over the last year. You will find him very thoughtful and I hope you enjoy his very dry sense of humor as much as I do. I, I don't know if he has injected any of that into his message this morning, but uh, I'd encourage you to, to get to know him. Hi, Trinity Heights Church. Good to see you all this morning. Today I'm going to be reading the scripture. It's from Luke 1, um, a few different verses in Luke 1, verses 3 through 4, 52 through 55, and 76 through 78. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Trinity Heights and friends. Welcome to today's Sunday service. This Sunday inaugurates the third week of Advent, which is when we explore the joy of the good news. So we'll explore the joy of the good news through the context of Luke chapter one. So we'll also do this thinking through the purpose um, that Luke has given for why he's writing, which is namely to have confidence in what we've been taught and to proclaim the good news. And Luke outlines this right from the start. Um, we, have, we have so much thanks for that. Um, in verses one through four, if you're following real quick, um, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, confidence in what we've been taught, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, proclamation, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, confidence, meditation, to write an orderly account for you, proclamation, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught, confidence in the things that you have been taught. And, and Luke... When we're studying Luke, we never want to divorce it from Acts. It's, it's a two-volume work that is always moving forward. And the whole thing is proclamation, right? Sharing the good news, taking it to the Gentiles. So if we take anything away today, it's 
learning how to have confidence in what we've been taught and proclaiming the good news. So since we're in the season of Advent, let's take a moment to, to frame Advent. Um, it's not just the context that we're in together. It is also the context in which um, Luke has set his characters and, and narrative to take off. So our brother, Rich Velotis from New Life Fellowship in Queens, he, he talks about Advent this way. <clears throat> the season of Advent opens us up to the surprising ways of God. In Advent, we're invited to wrestle with our longings, our desires, and our hopes for a world marked by grace, goodness, and peace. It is a time to recall the biblical truth that the renewal of our lives and of our world is found in God's coming among us as Jesus Christ. So Advent is a time of expectation. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of tension. And, and this is where we find our characters um, and the setting. So Dave last week alluded to this context, um, pointing out that the Israelites had been in the Promised Land and they had been ripped away from that, taken into exile. Now, it's, it's enough just the trauma of being ripped away from your home and from everything that you know. But this was also a group of people who went into exile and over several centuries had all of their politics, their socioeconomics, their culture, their religion, all of that just turned on its head. And not just turned on its head, but constantly shifting. They went through rotating rules of different nations, uh, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans, all of these different pieces. And you can imagine every time something shifted, um, this was exacerbated. And so these are people who are waiting for vindication and restoration for their nation. They're waiting for um, cultural and religious independence. They're waiting for a Messiah. Now, we get to work from a great place of hindsight where we've seen Jesus come as the Messiah to reconcile us to God, to redeem us and forgive us of our sins. We get a really beautiful picture of a Messiah. And it's very special, it's very special. The idea of a Messiah isn't that crazy of an idea in the context of, of particularly the Old Testament, at least as we see it sort of move forward. What the Israelites are looking for is, is an anointed king or an anointed priest, which is, is really what Messiah means. We've had several of these figures before. It's not that um, what they're waiting on is this special one person that's never existed before. We've seen this through Moses, we've seen it through Abraham, through David, through Samuel. All of these people are some sort of anointed priest or anointed king. So they're waiting on that. Um, and rightly so. Um, this is something that they've experienced in the past, so they know that it's possible for, for it to come again. So... Luke is starting us with the Annunciation of, of the Messiah. Um, and this is the, the special Messiah that, that's really going to restore Israel and really, honestly, the world at large. So this is a very different Messiah, but they don't know that that's 
specifically what's coming. So what we'll look at in particular are the enunciations of John the Baptist and Jesus, um, of the children to come, and then sort of the songs that Mary and Zechariah um, sort of burst into as they go through. So starting with, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, it's a funny place for Luke to start us. He's starting a book that's about future and hope and restoration of the world. He's starting it with a couple of, of old age who cannot have children. Not the most encouraging place to start, honestly. <laughs> um, but it's fascinating because he's, he's already making a connection to the Old Testament. So Zechariah and Elizabeth remind us of Abraham and Sarah, right? Another couple of old age who cannot have children. Zechariah and Elizabeth also remind us of Elkanah and Hannah, another couple of old age who can't have children. You see the thing. Now, there, there are a lot of couples like that in the Old Testament. These two couples in particular are very special because of God's intervention. God intervened to give them children, and their children actually did very remarkable things. Um, Isaac was promised as a way for God to bless the nations through the Abrahamic covenant. Samuel was the was the the kid um, who went and anointed David. Said, "Here's your anointed king, who's who's going to lead you." So we're already having this remarkable connection, these remarkable parallels that that happen. Um, it's interesting that Zechariah, who is a priest, he's a priest of the order of Aaron. Aaron being Moses's brother. Zechariah, when when the angel comes and says, "Hey, you're going to have a kid," should be making this connection even more clearly than Luke's audience or even us. He should be saying, "This is pretty cool. Not just I'm going to have a kid; my lineage is going to continue, but I'm going to have." the one who's going to come and proclaim the Messiah. Interestingly, he doesn't do that. He, he looks at Gabriel and he says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And Gabriel's response is, I stand in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. So this priest didn't make this recognition. Um, he, he questioned, he doubted, um, and he was silenced. So let's, let's look at Mary for a minute. Um, Mary, juxtaposed to Zechariah, is a young woman also not expecting a child, and God intervenes and says, Mary, you're going to have a kid. So it doesn't end there. It's not just, hey, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. Gabriel says, um, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. That That's a very startling thing. Um, the angel is clearly making 
this designation that your child that's going to come will be this messianic figure. He will have divine sonship in the same way that David did. Um, divine sonship versus divinity. If you want to talk about that, find me. It's a fascinating thing. But, but to make this claim to Mary um, should be more startling than, than Zachariah's uh, annunciation. But Mary, her response, she sits with it for a second and she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She sat with it and accepted it. And then the very next verse, 39, if you're following, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She accepted it and she took off to proclaim, right? How joyful. And this is not just a proclamation of, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a kid. Um, this is, she's running to, she's effectively the first disciple, right? Um, she's effectively receiving the Lord, appreciating it, sitting with it, and then going off to spread the good news. She's filled with joy, and it's more than just the biological aspect of my lineage is gonna continue. Um, so this is fascinating. So we have these two different characters who have responded differently to the good news, which Gabriel specifically said, this is good news. They responded in two very different ways. And honestly, for me, I would probably respond more the way that Zechariah did. One of, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Um, so it's fascinating, it's fascinating. Now, when Mary and Elizabeth are together, Mary doesn't even get the words out. Elizabeth has, has sat with the news that she's going to have a child who will go before the messianic figure and proclaim his name. Um, and when Mary comes in, Elizabeth shouts with joy. She proclaims um, a type of good news here. And she says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Confidence and proclamation. So Elizabeth is, is complimenting Mary, right? In this, she is, she's rejoicing. Generally, when you receive a compliment, you give it back, right? Like, oh, I love your sweater. Oh, I love your shoes. No, I love your shoes. There's, there's some sort of like back and forth, right? Mary does not compliment Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> she turns and praises God. She's effectively complimenting God, right? Um, but it, there's not this horizontal piece. It's this vertical piece, right? So she... She praises God and she proclaims to those around her um, what is to come. And, and Mary's song, take, take a minute, 
later and go back to First Samuel and look at the Hannah Elkanah scene, Hannah has a song as well. And so these two songs reflect one another. Um, there's a lot of parallels, and actually Mary's song and Zechariah's song take a few different pieces of Old Testament language and put them in here. But what Luke is effectively doing when he's putting this song on Mary's lips is, is making these connections again for us, um, but also not just echoing the Old Testament, um, Mary's song anticipates the gospel message of salvation for everyone, of what is to come. Um, let's see. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in his thoughts. Um, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She is trusting in the confidence of what the angel has expressed to her that her child is going to come and fulfill the promises to Abraham to bless the nations, to bring salvation to the unexpected, to the foreign, to the lowly. Um, this echoes some pieces that we see later in Luke, like the Beatitudes and, and things like that. Zechariah has this whole time still been mute, um, mute throughout the entire gestation period of his child. After the naming of John, he starts into song. And it's also interesting to me that we have these two characters who just burst into song. I don't do that. I doubt you do that. Um, Disney princesses do that. And then the animals dance. Um, so it's a very interesting thing that this is how Luke expresses it. But he's really pushing us forward in these two people having such confidence. And Zachariah, who's been able to meditate for nine months on what is happening immediately proclaims. It's the first action after naming his child that we see from him. Um, sort of towards the end of his song, um, verse 76, he, he tells his child, you are here to proclaim, um, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Not to hit proclamation too much on the head, but also to do that. Zachariah is proclaiming and he's, he's telling his child to go into the family business more or less as a priest, go and proclaim the good news. Like this is the guy we've been waiting for. Um, and the whole structure of Zachariah's song, it, it falls into sort of three pieces. One um, connects us with David, one connects us with Abraham, and then one is really the sending. So Luke, he stated in the first four verses, have confidence in what you've been taught. 
and then he expresses it through Zechariah and Mary in two slightly different ways. They are so confident in the Lord coming to fulfill his promises, and they share it. So this leaves us, I think, with the question of how do we bring this home? Um, and literally, how do we bring it home since we're all generally under lockdown in a pandemic and going into dark, dark winter? So how do we proclaim it? And there's, there's two pieces to this, I think. One is the confidence in what you've been taught. Just spending time in the Word, meditating on it, speaking with one another, sharing what good news we see in each other's lives, um, in our lives. That's just going to help us build confidence. Being in the Word regularly, sharing it with one another, um, that, that's a huge boon. Um, uh, a pastor several, several, several years ago encouraged me to just be in the Word every day, regularly, and even if it's only 10 minutes, even if it's only a passage, and not necessarily looking for the moral or the lesson, because frankly, there's not always one but to just spend time marinating in it. It's really powerful. Um, it seeps into your bones. It seeps into your bones and becomes part of you and, and you get a joy. And then it also just helps you naturally proclaim both in word and action. But then also the proclamation part, it's as much a conscious effort as it is sort of a natural outflowing and a natural fruit. We have to purposely share it. Um, here, and I think it's important to, to point out, we often think of proclamation in a sort of missional way. Um, and I, I'm not discouraging anybody from going out and sharing publicly with people, this is who Jesus is. But if we look at our characters, they're all Israelites. They all know this stuff. Um, they've all been waiting on this Messiah. Um, and they're sharing good news with one another, right? Mary went to Elizabeth. Of all people, Elizabeth is going to know this. She's like existing in it. So I don't want us to just think of proclamation outwards towards, um, towards others. Let's also keep it inward. I, th I think that's a huge piece. Also do it outward. Also do it outward. So these, these are the things. Um, the proclamation outwards, I can only encourage you, share your joy of the good news. Maybe at this point it's a little on the nose. Share the joy of good news. Whatever the Lord is doing in your life, in whatever way. Um, and if you're not feeling joy because, my goodness, is it hard to feel joy sometimes. It is not a natural thing for me. You can imagine a pandemic. And I know, I said it earlier, we're going into winter. New York winter is never enjoyable. Find somebody who can give you some joy, right? Who can share that with you. You guys can sort of come to it together. Um, this is a, a communal thing. We in the West tend to think of salvation as such a personal, individualized thing. It is true. The Lord loves you in particular. But this is also a body thing. This is also a communal thing. Luke isn't writing just to Theophilus. He is writing to an entire audience of people, and his whole narrative is about taking the word out, 
to people. This is a communal aspect. So just encourage you, um, meditate, have confidence in what you've been taught, learn, ask, go out and proclaim it. Um, we will end there today. Um, may you go today out with joy and with hope, knowing you have a future, um, and have just a really joyful and blessed day.